just a quick thought. Um, when, when you wear a t-shirt that's got text on it, some writing, it's always a good idea to, to at least have an idea what you have on. I had a, a girl approach me in Walmart Friday night, and she, I was standing with my back to her, and she started reading what was on the back of my shirt. And I, I looked down to see what I had on. I had my mission ship trip shirt from this year. And for the life of me, I couldn't remember what our theme verse was. And so she started reading. So what's it say? And I, oh, I don't know. And she said something about love. And I thought, well, yeah, that's love. And then, and then she got talking. What made me think of the song Oceans as I visited with this little girl? Um, she said she knew that song Oceans in Spanish. So, um, if she had been here today, I would have had her get up and sing in Spanish with you today. There's a story about a monastery that was, that was high up on a cliff. And the only way you could get to the monastery was to get in a basket that was that was lifted up the cliff by by the monks on top tugging on the rope and pulling on the rope with all their their might and it was as you can imagine it was somewhat of a perilous journey uh to go up in that basket and one time there was a a a, a visitor there uh, a a tourist there to to visit the monastery and, and as as they were going up in this basket about halfway up and and he began to look at that rope and noticed that that rope looked kind of old and, and a little bit frayed. And, and so about halfway up, he looked at the, the other monk that was in the basket with him and he said, he said, can I ask you a question? He said, how, how often do you guys change the rope? And, uh, the, the monk thought for a second and he said, well, when it breaks. <laughs> as, as you can imagine, that didn't put much hope uh, in, into the heart or into the spirit of this tourist that was going up the side of the mountain. We live, we, we live, a, live in a time where it seems that oftentimes our, our world and our life are suspended high above the ground uh, and the rope that is tugging us up and pulling us up is old and frayed and it looks like at any time it's going to break. We, we look at our world and, and we see chaos. We see the hatred of terror, terrorism, we see the blind ambition of world leaders, we see the corruption of governments, and, and oftentimes we ask ourselves, where's the hope? Or, or we even look at our own government, and we see leaders that are driven by their thirst for power, they, they've sold their soul to godless agendas, they, they turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to the values that we hold dear, and, and only to champion the causes that we know brings a tear to God's eyes and, and does not honor Him, and we ask ourselves, where's the hope? And then we think to ourselves, well, at least, at least I have my security. At least in, in my own little bubble, I've got my job and I've got my family. And I, I've, I've got that kind of security. And yet for some of us, we understand that sometimes that doesn't offer us a whole lot of security. Uh, the job that we have today could be gone tomorrow, downsizing, relocating, streamlining, cutting back, or even closing the doors. The job that we'd, that we'd staked our future on might be gone and we ask ourselves where's the hope well at least i have at least i have my health and i've got my family and my friends and, and yet we know that that a health crisis could could come up in an instant and, and even though most times if not a large percent of times we can count on our family and friends even they they sometimes let us down and we ask where is the hope let me let me lead you today to a to a psalm that i believe talks about hope that that the central theme, the whole idea of this psalm, and it hits it several times over, is about hope. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 33. We're actually going to walk through the whole psalm today, but but I want you to notice one verse, if you will, 
if, if there's one verse you want to underline, there's probably several that you should, but if there's one verse that you want to underline, I, I want you to look at verse 18. There it says, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him. Reed and I uh, live in Rushville, and uh, in our in our front yard, literally, is the, the playground to the elementary school. So you can walk down our, uh, out of our front yard and, and there's the playground. There's the, there's the jungle gym and there's the swing set and the merry-go-round and there's the teeter-totters. Well, let, let, let me rephrase that. There's the teeter-totter because someone, I won't say who, may or may not have broken one of the teeter-totters last summer with their grandkids. So now it's, not putting any fingers, so now it's the teeter-totter. Uh, there's a basketball court. There's all this playground equipment. I was, I don't know, it's probably a year, year and a half ago, I was out in the front yard messing around doing some work. And, and I happened to notice down in the playground there were some children playing. It was, it was not during school time. There were some kids playing. And there were two young mothers sitting on the bench that's there at the, the playground. And you could see that they were deep in conversation. I don't know what they were talking about. Too far away for me to listen. I tried, but I couldn't hear them. Uh, they're too far away, but they might have been talking about their lack of sleep the night before. Maybe they're talking about, uh, you know, uh, about the, the problems they have with their kids. Maybe they were, they were uh, talking about their problems they have with their husband. I have no idea what they were talking about, but I could tell by, by the way they carried themselves, even though I was a distance away and you could tell they were, they were in conversation, their eyes were never off their kids. Now they weren't just staring at them, but you could tell that their kids, that their their eyes were on their kids. In fact, it was proven out just a couple moments later when one of the little kids, I don't know, she had to be three or four years old, fell down on the basketball court. She was chasing a ball in the basketball court's concrete, and she fell, and I knew what was going to happen next, and it did. She started screaming. But before the screams of her child could even reach her ear, that mother was up and on her way to aid that child. That is what this verse is saying to us. But the eyes of the Lord are on what? What hope is in that verse when we realize that our God is watching us? That's the picture that he has for us. Let me go ahead and read that verse and finish it out there. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in his unfailing love. Our world may fall apart. Our government may let us down. Our financial security may go down the drain. And our personal lives may end up in the pit. But there is there is hope. Let's walk through this this uh, this psalm here this morning. If you have your Bibles, again, Psalm 33. Let's first of all look at the first three verses. And and there we see that hope produces praise. In fact, you, you actually could flip that around and praise produces hope works as well. But but hope produces place, praise. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with harp. Make music to Him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song, play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves the right, loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Love or hope produces love, uh, praise because he is faithful. Because he's faithful. Uh, it, it's been a number of years ago. I don't know what's maybe 20, uh, more than 20 years, 25 years ago. I don't know what it was. One Saturday, it was in May or April, whenever this happens, that the, the, the fort down at Leavenworth was having their big garage sales. You guys know, know that. Some of you probably have been there. 
my, my wife went to the garage sales that day. I had something else going on, and, and so I was thankful that she went with someone else, and I didn't have to go because that's not my, my deal. But after that year, I will tell you, I, she, de- she never went by herself again. Um, but, but she went to the garage sales. I went and did my thing. When I got home, she was already home. And, and I was excited because I knew she was going to meet me at the door to tell me about her find. She was going to hold up some clothes that she got for the kids. I only paid 50 cents, and this it still had the tags on it. And she was going to point out a toy. I got a Star Wars toy for Joel, and it was only a dollar. It's All the pieces were there. It's in mint condition. I just knew that she was going to share all the wonderful things that she got. She knows what's coming, what, what that she had got. Instead, I opened the door, and my wife was sitting there, and my kids, and they're all giving me a funny look as I walked in. And then I noticed why they were giving me a funny look. In the middle of our living room floor, was a dog where there wasn't one before. Now, now I want you to, I want you to catch this that I said dog. I didn't say puppy. Now, had, had, and I bet some of you have gone and got to come home with garage sales with a kitten or a puppy. So hopefully I didn't create any, you know, bad vibes here in your families. But had it been a puppy and a, a cute little ball of fur and it, you know, come waddling over to me and lick, you know, I, you know, you know, that might have been okay. But it was a grown dog. Had it been a German shepherd or, a husky or, or some, you know, full blood dog, maybe, but it was a mutt. It was a mixture of who knows what. And, and, and to, you're going to make my point. And to top it off, it growled at me. Not only that, but in the first two or three days, it bit me I, three different times. Its name was Captain. Came from the fort. Now, now, the truth was, that that dog became the best dog we ever had. Because eventually it got over its dislike for me, and, and I couldn't do anything without it following me. I couldn't go to the bathroom without the dog following me into the bathroom and, and laying at my feet. So, uh, it was a great dog. But you know, you know why I remember that dog? You, you know why I look at that dog and think, man, that was a great dog? Because it was faithful. Every morning, that dog would walk, and it was only a block, but would walk the block to to the bank, the corner of, uh, of the of Valley Street where, where the bank was, would walk my boys to the, the, the bus stop. And every afternoon at 3.15 or whenever it was, that dog would hear the bus blocks down the road and just know. And it would be sitting at that bus stop waiting for my boys to get off the bus. That was a faithful dog. I apologize for comparing God's faithfulness with that of a dog, but... But the reality is, we can, hope, hope can give us praise, and we can praise because of hope, because God is, is faithful. Verse four, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. See, we get that faithfulness, first of all, and that, that verse just said it. We get it from his, his word, the, for the word of the Lord is right and, and true. God has promised to be with us. And, and as we look through His Word, in fact, that's a challenge. It's probably something you've already noticed if you've been reading in the Psalms, is you see that over and over again, the promises of God that He throws out at. He's promised to be our shield, our protector, our deliverer, our help. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. And, and, and a, a one that we know very well from Psalms, even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we're not alone. He's there. He's with us. God's Word is a continual promise to us that He will be there for us. The promise that, that God gives us, gives us praise. And we can praise Him for that hope even when we're through difficult times. 
I mentioned, I, I talked last week um, uh, to Sandy, and, and I just mentioned to her that, hey, I'm, I'm just going to mention you in my sermon last week. And when I did, she kind of told me her story a little bit more, and it, it touched me because she made the comment that, that when she went, went through her first surgery, she wasn't a Christian, and she was almost ready to give up. In fact, she said, I didn't care really if I lived or died, but the second time, I was a believer. And she pointed out that the church had reached out to her and, and really blessed her and had taken an offering and, and it just showed her that God loved her and cared for her. And she said the second time, even though the outcome was still possibly the same, even though there was uncertainty, that, that there was hope. And it completely changed the way that she saw it because God was there for her. There's a story about a, about a lady named Mary Clark. She lived in the 1800s into the 1900s and she had two daughters. Uh, Mary, Mary lived in England. Her oldest daughter had had long before moved away to America with her husband. Uh, and and her younger daughter, when she was a, a young adult, had passed away. And so just just had the one child. And, and she was on a steam liner across the Atlantic to visit uh, her her living daughter in America. And and as they headed across the Atlantic, the the, the ship hit a storm, and, and the storm was was very rough. And and, and there was. There was some uncertainty for a while whether, whether they would make it or not. It said everyone was scared to death. All the, all the passengers, even the, the hardened, hardened sailors from the ship were, were getting a little bit nervous. But everyone began to notice that Mary was different, that, that she didn't seem to be, be frayed by what was going on. And, and, and that caused them to ask, hey, why aren't you scared? And, and she made this simple point that gives us evidence that Hope produces praise. She simply said this, I'm going to see my daughter. If we make it and, and we make it through the storm and we make it to America, I get to see my daughter. But if our ship sinks and all is lost, I get to see my daughter that's in heaven. See, there's, there's hope in praise and praise produces hope. We see it from, uh, we see it from His Word, but we also see it from his love. Look at verse verse five, where it says, "The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of His unfailing love." When we when we see God and His love, it it's a hope that produces praise. A few weeks ago, some of us went down to Beaumont, Texas. The first day that we were there on Saturday, we we uh, we hooked up with a church called Praise Church, which it was. Interesting for this point, praise church and, and, and they hooked us up with a guy that was going to lead us that day, that knew where we were going and he was going to make sure that we were doing what we needed to do. I believe his name was Robert. Am I right? Dana said that she agreed with me. His name was Robert and, and, and Robert's kind of a quiet guy. In fact, when I first went up and introduced myself to him, I thought, oh man, we got a dud here. This guy doesn't want to talk. He's not going to be any fun. And he was really quiet the whole time, but, but man, what, what a blessing this young man was. For the last two or three weeks, whatever the time frame was at that point, he had been serving. The, the nights that the waters rose from the, the 46 inches of rain in Beaumont, he was out in his boat rescuing people during the day and even into the night, rescuing people, high water rescues. And, and when the water receded and people needed help tearing out their houses and moving furniture, he had spent the last two weeks away from his job just helping people, connected through his church and people even outside the church, ripping out sheetrock and moving furniture and, and, and just touching people where their lives were broken. And, and I couldn't help, uh, help notice in, in, in a world there we saw that was just full of devastation, people's whole lives sitting out on the curb in front of their house. Uh, 
that God showed this example of hope, this example that could give praise when you simply saw someone that was loving. That was loving. See, the Lord loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of his unfailing love. So no matter where we find ourselves, hope always comes through when we see God's love. Verses 6 through 11 tells us that hope gives purpose to his plan. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, by the starry host, their, their starry host, by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke it and it came to be. He commanded it and it stood firm. If you underline your Bible, that's another one you should underline. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Hope gives purpose to his plan because he stands firm. There is hope because God has a plan and a purpose for us. First of all, we see it, and and the first part of this verse tells us, we see it because God is the creator. God is the creator. We we see that there in verse uh, verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He For he spoke it and it came to be. He commanded it and it stood firm. God is our creator. Over in Psalm chapter 19, the first four verses, says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Now, now the rally, guys, this is big stuff. This, this may be the most important point of the service because this defines our, this really defines our worldview. This defines how we see the world. It's kind of a, it's kind of a breaking point. Which side are we going to fall? Because if God is the creator of the universe, if the words here are true, that by his word, our creation was created. If it's true that he spoke it and it came to be, then it changes everything. The, the truth is, if it's not true, if God didn't create it, then we're the biggest fools of all. In fact, we should just walk out of this church and go do whatever we want to do if God didn't create the world. But if he did, it changes everything. If this is just an accident, I can understand why people who don't believe do what they want to do. I can understand them living for the day because today is all they have. But if God's word's true, if, if he is the creator, if he did give us life, how hope-infusing is that? Because that means that God has a plan. Every, every parent here, when your child was born, had a plan. When you when you saw the child for the first time, when you held him in your arms and and and, and named them, you, you had a plan. Man, this this child's going to do this, or this child's going to be that. Now, now the route that we know as kids that we probably most of us don't ever end up fulfilling everything that our parents had planned for us. You know, they might have wanted you to be a doctor or a lawyer, and you didn't quite quite live up to that. But um, if I'd fulfilled all my dad's plans, I'd be a struggling farmer in Southern Illinois right now. Uh, but but I went a different direction. But the reality is, our, as parents, we have a plan for our kids. And really, it's, it's around, we want our kids to, to be healthy. And we, we want them to, to grow up and, and, and be a contributor to our world. And we want them to grow up and love the, the Lord. There's a, 
there's always a plan. God has a plan for us. Psalm 139, verse 13 says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. But, but I like verse 16 of that section. Uh, Psalm 139, 16 says this, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before one of our days came to be, before we ever were even born, God had already ordained our life. God had already had a plan for you. And if God is, if God is the creator, man, that, that gives us so much hope. Because then that means that God is in control. If, if God is the creator of the universe, then, then he is in control of his universe. And if God is in control of his universe, then you know what that means? God is in control of us. Now, now I don't mean that in the sense that we're, that he's the puppet master and he, he moves us like pawns across. The, that just means God has our life in control. It doesn't make a difference where we are. Whether everything is going exactly like we had a plan and, and our life and our dreams are messing together perfectly like the, the gears going together. Our, our plan for a job turned out perfect and I, I ended up right where I wanted to be and, and the, the lady that I wanted to marry and when I asked her she said yes and when we had kids they were, our kids were perfect. Their teeth were white and straight and, and, and they were smart. They were the top in their class, every one of them. And, and even though the curfew was 10 o'clock, they were at home at 9 o'clock to, to say their prayers and read their Bible verses every night, even into college, 9 o'clock. They were, if everything happened right with our kids, God's in control. But even if it doesn't, even if you find yourself and, and that dream job never did materialize, it turned into a dead-end job. It turned into just something you had to do to put food on the table to pay the bills. And, and those kids, uh, you know, braces aren't, aren't cheap, but you had to pay for braces for every one of those kids. And they still ate caramel candy and stuff and broke their braces. When, and and that, that curfew was 10 o'clock, but, but a couple times at 11.30, they come struggling in, and you know they, they've been out doing things they shouldn't. You could smell the alcohol in their breath. And, and, and that wife that you thought was perfect, well, you know her breath stinks in the morning. And that husband you had, you, you envisioned what he's going to look like. Well, you wake up and he's got a pot belly and he's bald. I, man, the guy's laughing at me. That could be several people here, by the way. Even then, God is in control. See, there's hope because God has a plan and has purpose. Purpose for you. If we're in a great place and things are going good, or if we're in the pit and we're fret, fretting, God's still in control. Uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer is a German pastor and, and theologian. Uh, ended up uh, uh, in, in a German concentration camp. In fact, just a couple weeks before that concentration camp was freed, uh, he was martyred for his his beliefs, and his faith says this. He says, I believe that nothing that happens to me is meaningless, and that it, that it is good for us uh, all that it should be. Let me try it again. And that it is good for us all that it should be. So, 
even if it runs counter to our own wishes. As I see it, I'm here for some purpose, and I only hope I may fulfill it. In the light of this great purpose, all our disappointments seem trivial. Really, really what he's saying there is no matter what happens, God is in control. See, God has a plan and a purpose for you. If he is the creator, if, if God did put this, just spoke it and it's here, and, and, he's, and he's holding it together and he cares about me, then God is in control. Let me, let me illustrate it. And this, this kind of illustrates it two ways, actually, two, two different ways. Uh, about about uh, six weeks ago, I was, was standing out, uh, outside Davies Gas Station talking to Brad Sullivan. Uh, Brad had kind of flagged me down. He was wanting to, uh, to start a, an AA meeting uh, uh, here at the church and use our facility. And he was asking me about that. And so, so we were, were talking about that. And he was just kind of telling me his, his story as a recovering alcoholic. He was talking about how, how God has used his life and, and, and particularly now how God is trying to, he feels like God is using him to make a difference in other people's lives. And, and as we talked, he, he told me this story. He said, I was sitting outside when he still worked at Davies. I was sitting outside the gas station one day. And he said, I was really feeling kind of down. He said, I, I just wasn't sure what God had for him. I didn't know where God was going to lead me. And, and, and even though he was okay sobriety-wise, he said, I just was, was really kind of struggling in my faith. And, and, and he said, up walked Chad Winder. And he said, Chad comes to the station all the time. But this time, he didn't go in to get a pop. and didn't go in to get a candy bar. He just walked straight through the gas station right out to where I was sitting. And, and, and he said to me, without hesitation, he just said, he said Brad, I, I'm, I'm starting a Bible study for men. Would you like to come? Now, now that's a story of God's plan and purpose for us because God put it on Chad's heart to do that. God placed it wherever it came from. God put it on, hey, do this Bible say for guys that aren't connected to church, with guys who are struggling. And, and even though he didn't really want to do it, and even though that was going to be kind of a challenge, God put it on his heart. So Chad said, okay, God, it's your purpose and your plan. I hope you're there. And he just moved forward. And and for Brad, he was sitting there struggling until someone came up and said, hey, can I invite you to a Bible study? And he said that's kind of what moved him in the right direction where he was, where he's going and where he is now. See, God has a plan and a purpose for us, and that gives us so much, so much hope. Verses 12 through, through 19 shows us that hope protects, hope protects his people. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance from heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the sides of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance despite all its great strength it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him and those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them from famine. Hope protects his people because he forms the heart. God is the one that changes us. Hope protects us. First of all, hope protects us from ourself. If God created our universe and he's in control, then he has a plan for our, our life and he protects us oftentimes from ourself because the reality is oftentimes we begin to look at ourself and we think ourself has it figured out. Proverbs chapter 12 or Chapter 14, verse 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads 
to, to death. Uh, we, we oftentimes put our trust and our faith in ourselves, and the truth is we must put it in the Lord. Notice what he says there, kind of a couple different things, verse uh, 16 and 17. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance despite all of its great strength it cannot save. Now that's pretty cool, and I like how that flows. I've had that underlined in my Bible for years. But you know, it really doesn't speak to us very well. Because number one, I'm not a king, and I don't have armies. I'm not a warrior, don't know what that's about, was never in the army. And I'll just be honest, I'm a little scared of horses. So so when it says, you know, even a horse, you know, that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. So let me paraphrase that in ways that maybe you'll understand exactly what David was saying. This might be another way in our, in our vernacular that he would have said. No family is saved by their bank account or the dollars in their 401k. No man is the victor even if he reaches the pinnacle at his job. A big house and a new car might be nice and the envy of your neighbor but they can't save you from sin or from heartache. See, when we live by hope, we realize that the eyes of the Lord are on us and it saves us oftentimes from ourselves, and it saves us from our doubts. Look at verse 19. Notice what he says there, to deliver us from death and to keep them alive in famine. That doesn't, that doesn't hit us so much in our, in our world. Uh, the truth is, our world's pretty secure for the most part. We're we're not worrying about famine with with healthcare. We, you know, we're but boy, in in that day when a simple a simple illness could take your life, and and with the turn of the weather, famine could could wipe out communities. Well, that meant something, and and God was there to protect them even during those times. Ron Pinkerton was a an experienced pilot. He'd grown up flying uh, small planes and then uh, jets in the military and eventually a commercial pilot uh, for his job. One day he was hang gliding, which is one of his favorite pastimes. And, and as he started hang gliding, he, he hit a, a thermal of warm air that, that, that took him up to about 4,000 feet. And, and, and he was enjoying that when all of a sudden uh, another blast of air, this time a, a blast of cold air, started pushing him down. And, and all he... All he could do was hold on, and, and as he got closer and closer to the ground, he, he, he watched the ground rusting up and said that he was fighting everything he could to find a different set of air to, to get out of that air that was pushing him down. And, 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 and he was about 500 feet off the ground. He looked off to, to his right, and on the right wingtip was a, was a hawk. That hawk was struggling the same way. That wind was bouncing his wings back and forth. And, and, and he thought to himself, well, we're both going down, and he's down about 300 feet. And he noticed that hawk turned downwind. And his first thought was, you're going the wrong way. Hawk, you're, you're, you're headed to, to, to your death. That's suicide. If, if I know anything, good wind is the other direction. But, but the wind continued to push him down. The air continued to push him down. He was only 200 feet off the ground when he thought, I might as well. And he, and he followed the hawk. He said, everything in me, my, my instincts, everything I knew as a pilot said to go this way, but I went that way. He said after just a short period, he noticed that hawk start to rise up. And he said for a while it felt like I was suspended just hanging in air when suddenly the wind caught my wings of, of the hang glider and I went up as well. Oftentimes we, we look and, and it's our doubts 
our doubts hold us down. When we're in the pit, when we're struggling, when we're fretting, it's the doubts that creep in. But God promises us to be our hope, even to deliver us in those moments. And finally, as we look at the last couple verses, we see that hope provides hope provides His peace. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May Your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in You. He is unfailing. Because He's unfailing, His hope provides us peace. See, hope can, for us, produce praise. And, and the reality is when we praise Him in, in, in those moments, it actually can produce hope. Hope gives us a purpose uh, to, to His plan. It helps us understand as, as God is our Creator. If He is in charge, if He's in control, no matter where we find ourselves, God has us if He's the Creator. He protects His people from ourselves and even from our, our doubt. Jim and Mary, Jim and Mary Pope had served the Lord as missionaries. I'll close with this. Had served as missionaries in Japan for almost their entire life. Over, over 50 years they had, had labored away on, on the island and, and it hadn't been easy. In fact, it had been a struggle and, and, and through 50 years of work, the truth was there was only a handful of converts that they, that they could claim, but, but, but they'd come to, to the, to the end of their work time and, and they decided to retire and they, they boarded a plane and headed back to America and, and while they were flying back, they, they realized just from the buzz that was going on the plane that there was a celebrity on the plane. They didn't know who it was. In fact, if they'd heard the name, they probably wouldn't have recognized it since they'd been away from the U.S. for so long. But, but obviously it was creating quite, creating quite a stir. The, the stewardess who were all excited, the other, other passengers were all abuzz and, and they, they, they considered this and noticed this as, as they, they flew into LA. And when they landed and were deplaning, they were deplaning just behind this, this celebrity. And, as they walked off, there were a throng of people there to meet the celebrity. There, there were cameramen, and there, there was someone taking pictures and video, someone there to interview them. There were fans that were screaming, wanting their autograph, and, and, and said they, they noticed the stark difference because there was no one there to greet them. So, so, so Jim and Mary said as they, as they got off the, the plane, they, they noticed the crowd, and for just a second, they stood there getting their bearings, trying to figure out where to go, and, and just thought, boy, this seems weird. And they went downstairs and got the rent-a-car to take him to the motel for the night. And as they drove in the rent-a-car, Jim commented to his wife, you know, that's just not fair. We've served the Lord for 50 years. For 50 years we've labored for Him. That reception should have been for us. There should have been people there cheering us and, and, and hollering out and, and giving us praise. There should have been someone there to interview us and and, and as they got to their hotel and as they're waiting to check in, Jim continued to complain to his wife. And, you know, that's just not right. How unfair. I've served, you know, I've sacrificed so much and, and there was no one there for us. And they got checked in the room, began to settle down and he continued to just pine on about how, how unfair it was that there was no one there. And finally his wife said, said to him, honey, I'm going for a walk and, and while I'm gone, I, I need you to talk to the Lord. And I need you to talk to the Lord about your attitude. And so she left. About 35, 40 minutes later, she returned. And as she, she walked in, she, she just asked him, well, what, what did the Lord say to you? And this is what Jim Pope said. The Lord said, oh, my child. Oh, my child, don't fret. 
you're not home yet. You're not home yet. In our world, we're, we're struggling for hope. We watch the TV. In fact, we're almost afraid to turn the news on in the morning to, for fear of what happened overnight. Our world seems to be falling apart. The things that we used to believe in, they're hard to believe in. But there's hope. There's hope in the Lord. Would you bow with me? Father, we, we live in a world that, that is, uh, is yearning for completion. And, and Father, as we look at the things that are happening, we, we sometimes line it up with Scripture, Father, and it seems like, uh, like uh, the, the end is near. Father, so many things are happening, and we, we just think your, your return is imminent. But Lord, you give us hope. Father, even in, in the, the good times and even in the bad times, Father, Father, things are happening like we want, or Father, we're struggling uh, with despair. Lord, you are there, and you give us hope. Father, I thank you that you are the creator. And because you have a plan for us, you have a purpose for us, and you are in control. Father, let let the, the words of this psalm sink into us today that we have hope. You are the eyes of hope. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this morning and you don't know that hope, now would be the perfect time to find out about it. If you're not sure about tomorrow, if you're not sure about today, if you're struggling, then there is someone that will hold your hand. If you're in that valley of the shadow of death, no worries, because God is there and he'll hold your hand. He doesn't promise us that life's going to be easy. He doesn't promise us that we're not going to have struggles. But God is there. If you need to make a decision, would you come as we stand and sing this morning?